Well, thanks so much for being here to worship with us this morning. My name is Steve. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. If you have your Bible, uh, go ahead and open it up to John chapter 20. Uh, If you don't have your Bible with you, uh, you can get out your phone or your tablet or whatever you keep your Bible on. Or if you want, there's one of these uh, blue ones somewhere around you, and it's page 756 in this Bible, John chapter 20. Again, my name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors here, and I am so glad to get to worship with you today on Easter Sunday. You guys don't know this, but the 1130 Easter service is Genesis' best kept secret. Because usually, no, listen, because usually we only have two services, but the third service is where the magic happens, right? Because we've practiced twice. We don't usually get to practice twice, and we've practiced twice. So now you guys will get to hear the very best. You got the very best music already. You're going to hear, hopefully, the very best preaching. It may not be up to your level still, but whatever. It's the best I've got to give, and so we're glad. And I I just have to tell you, I'm so excited. I've been so excited for this message because um, I get the chance to preach here and share on a regular basis, but when I get to preach the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday, I feel like that I am doing what I was created to do. Do you, do you ever have that feeling in your life that, that you're doing exactly what you were created for? I mean, maybe you go to work and uh, you have a lot of days that are just normal days, but every once in a while something happens and you feel, yeah, this is exactly what my purpose in life is supposed to be. Or maybe as a, as a mom or a dad, when you're watching your kids, when you're um, just playing with your kids and you think, hey, this is, why, this is why I was made. This is why I was created or as a husband or wife, or, or even just in one of your hobbies, you're doing something and you think, you know, I get to work to pay the bills, but this is why I was created. Here's what I want you to know this morning. If you don't get anything else out of this morning, here's what I want you to hear. You have a God who created you, who loves you, and he has a purpose for your life. And I believe that uh, he wants you to find that purpose. And when you find that purpose and when you're fully operating out of God's plans for your life, you will never be more satisfied than in those moments. And, and so your God is crazy about you. And no matter if you don't get anything else from the rest of this service, I want you to know that this morning. It reminds me uh, a little bit of the story of Eric Liddell. You may know that name, Eric Liddell. If you do, you probably saw the movie about his life, Chariots of Fire. It was made in 1981. Eric Liddell was a great runner in the 1920s, and uh, his signature event was the 100 meters. In fact, he held the record for a long time in Britain uh, for the 100-yard dash at 9.7 seconds. That's a pretty spectacular time, even by today's standards. But uh, Eric Liddell was expected to go to the 1924 Olympics and win the gold medal. Unfortunately, when he got there, uh, the 100-meter dash qualifying heats were run on Sunday. And Eric Liddell was a devout Christian, and he believed it was wrong to run on Sunday. And so even at the risk of losing Olympic gold, he decided to drop out of his signature event. Now, is it wrong to run on Sunday? I I don't know. I don't think so. Is it wrong to serve chicken on Sunday? No, I don't think so. In fact, I think it's wrong not to. Right? And so what what would happen if we all just showed up at Chick-fil-A on a Sunday and told them, no, we we need our chicken. It's it's chicken day, right? It's Sunday. (laughs) Um, No, I don't think it's wrong to run on Sunday, but for Eric Liddell, it was wrong for him. And so he chose instead to drop out of his signature event and try the 400 meters, a race that required a lot more endurance, a lot more stamina, and different muscle sets. If you ever watched the Olympics and you've seen the 100, how many of you ran track in high school or college? A few of you. So you know, the 100 and the 400 are two completely different events, right? You watch the guys in the 100 and they are like, bulked up. They're like muscular. They look like Connor Chalfont. You know, they're like muscular. If you know Connor, yeah, I know. It's funny, isn't it? 
But then the 400 guys are a little bit more like me. They're a little bit thinner, you know, and they don't have as much muscle. They've got a little more endurance. And, but he decided, I'm going to give up the 100 and try to run the 400. Well, if you've seen the movie, you know his story. Eric Liddell not only qualified for the 400 final, but he won it. He won the gold medal and not only won the gold medal, but set the world record. And in fact, the world record in the 400 stood for quite a long time. It's, uh, his victory is still one of the greatest achievements in all of Olympic history. But what you may not know is the rest of his story. Because after the Olympics, Eric Liddell had the opportunity to continue running competitively, and he passed it up. He passed it up to go to China and become a missionary to tell people about Jesus. That's what his parents did. That's the environment he grew up in. And he decided to give up competitive running to go to China uh, and become a missionary. And actually, what happened was, uh, at the early onset of World War II, Japan invaded China and uh, took over and put a lot of the foreigners in prison camps. And Eric Liddell ended up in a prison camp where he died at the age of 43. Now, how do we remember a guy like Eric Liddell? Do we remember his gold medal? I mean, most Olympians, if you say their name, you only know how they performed and what they won, right? The gold medal race is remarkable, but I love this story. And in fact, his family didn't even know the rest of Eric Liddell's story. It really didn't come out until the 2008 Olympics in Beijing. But when Eric Liddell was in that prison camp in China in the early part of the war, he had the opportunity to get out. There was a prisoner exchange between Japan and Britain, and Eric Liddell, being a star athlete, was offered the chance to go back home. And he gave it up, and he gave up his spot to a pregnant woman. And I think if you were to hearing that part of the story, I think that's how Eric Liddell would want us to remember him. But if you've seen the movie, you know probably the greatest line, the, the most famous line in the movie is the way that I think about Eric Liddell. And he probably never said it because let's face it, it's a movie, right? It's fiction. But some brilliant screenwriter somewhere wrote this about Eric Liddell's life. And I love how it sums up his story. He says, I believe that God made me for a purpose. For China. And when I run, but he also made me fast, he said, and when I run, I feel God's pleasure. How do you live a life like that? Like, how do you live a life with so much passion and purpose and clarity? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today as we open up scripture. We're, but before we do that, I want to tell you we're finishing up this series today called Jesus Is. And if you're just here for the first time and you're thinking, oh no, we're finishing a series, how am I ever going to get caught up? Don't worry, I'll do it in like five seconds, all right? <laughs> Here's the idea behind this series. It doesn't matter what kind of background you have in the church or religion, uh, everybody has an opinion about Jesus. And probably if we were to ask, pull the room, and we said, hey, what word or phrase would you use to finish this sentence, Jesus is blank, you would have something to put in that blank. You would have a word or phrase to put in there. Well, at Genesis, we believe that Jesus is the most important person who ever lived. Now, if you view Jesus simply as a historical figure, you might think, now, wait, Steve, don't you mean Jesus was the most important person who ever lived? And I said, no, no, Jesus is the most important person who ever lived. Because today, I want to tell you that Jesus is alive. And we're going to look at our passage, and we're going to see how this unfolds in John chapter 20. Again, if you're there, we're going to go there right now. John chapter 20, verse 1. It says this, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. That's the tomb where Jesus had been laid after he was crucified. And saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. Just stop right there. And I want to tell you that when you're reading John's gospel, if he says the other disciple or the one Jesus loved, he's talking about himself. John often writes of himself in the third person. I don't know why, but I like it. I think Steve Wallen is going to start doing that as well. 
So they, they, uh, she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken our Lord from the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Hey, if you're writing the story, you get to win the race. You, you can always be the fastest if you're writing, right? Uh, he reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, remember, I'm faster. Remember, Peter? He's just capturing that for posterity's sake. Um, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. Verse 9 says, They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now, if you skip down a few verses to verse 18, what you see is uh, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. So this passage captures the most important event, the most important event in all of human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you're not a Christian, this might freak you out a little bit, you know, but we actually believe that Jesus was killed on a cross and that he was buried in a tomb, that he was dead. And then on the third day, he rose again. And one of the greatest arguments, one of the best pieces of evidence for the fact that this actually happened was these individuals telling these stories of how it happened and how they saw it happen. Mary, Peter, and John, and others would not give up telling this story about Jesus, even when they faced great threats and persecution. And even though many of them were killed for their faith, they wouldn't stop talking about this man living after they saw him die. Like they saw him living after they saw him die, and they wouldn't shut up about it. See, so many people are willing to lie, even in the face of intense pressure. But it's highly unlikely that so many people would lie for so long about something they knew to be untrue. If it was a hoax, if it was something they had made up or formulated, uh, wouldn't you eventually stop lying when your life was in jeopardy? But they didn't do that. Who else does that unless it's true? I believe with all my heart that Jesus is real. He, he lived his life on earth. He died a horrible death on a cross and he rose from the dead and he's alive today. And he's sitting at the right hand of the father in heaven and he's interceding on our behalf. He's praying for you. If you're here right now and you don't know, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to know that Jesus is praying for you on a regular basis. He sits at the right hand of the father. He's leading the church. He's married to his bride and he's in control of all things. The Bible says that God has put all things under his feet. So that's where we are today. Because he's alive, we can have this confidence that he defeated death. And he defeated death not just for himself, but his resurrection means that we can have a way through in this world, that we can truly live, that we can live with passion and purpose and clarity. And I believe that's what got into Eric Liddell. Like it was the resurrection of Jesus that drove his decisions, that helped him to live with that passion and purpose and clarity today. It's one thing to be breathing, right? It's, it's, it's one thing, we all have a pulse, right? but it's another thing to truly live, to really be alive and to feel alive. And Jesus, I can't believe, gave his life and defeated death just so we could have a pulse. I can't believe that Jesus gave up his life for you so that you could go to work, earn enough money to pay the bills, come home and turn on Netflix. Right, there's gotta be more than that, right? There's gotta be more to that. The one who is alive today offers us life. Life in the fullest, life like nothing else. That's the invitation 
That's what Jesus wants for each of us. He wants you to be truly alive and he wants you to have this kind of life that is full of passion and purpose and clarity. And we only get that. We only get that because of the resurrection. So today across our two campuses, uh, again, if you're new to Genesis, we are one church in two locations. Uh, at Noblesville, they are doing this exact same thing right now. Um, and uh, we had eight people that have made that declaration that through baptism, they decided to get baptized. They said, I wanna have this life that's truly living. And so they celebrate their own symbolic death and resurrection in Christ through baptism. And we celebrate that with them today. Unfortunately, there's none here in this service. You just missed two last service. Uh, thanks for telling me now, Steve, I could have been here earlier. Um, but I, I want you to know that we celebrate that when that happens, when somebody decides I'm gonna give my life to Jesus, I want my own, I'm gonna die to myself and be resurrected in the life of Christ. Uh, one writer in scripture helps us really understand how we can get a hold of this life and truly live in this world today. He's a guy named Paul. Uh, Paul was an early follower of Jesus, actually didn't start following Jesus until after the resurrection, but he became one of the early followers and influential in the early church. And he wrote this book to a church called uh, Ephesus, a church in a place called Ephesus. And the book is called Ephesians. And in Ephesians 2.1, it says this, you can follow along in your Bible if you have it, or you can just uh, look on the screens. We'll put all these verses on the screens for you. Ephesians 2.1 says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were dead. I like to consider myself a student of communication. And I would think that if you're trying to get somebody's attention, maybe don't call them dead right at first, right? But that's what Paul says. He says, as for you, you were dead. And you think, well, maybe you push back on that and go, well, I'm not, I'm not really dead. I mean, maybe I don't have this life that you're talking about, this full and abundant life that is truly life, but I'm not really dead. I'm mean, gonna have some good times. I have some fun. I get to do some stuff that makes me happy. But Paul's telling this story about his own life. He, said, he, said, he says, I was, I was dead in my sin. And as for you, uh, you were dead in your sin and transgression. He's telling a story about my life at the same time. Like before I knew Jesus, I was dead in my sin. I once had no hope of truly living. And then he goes on. He says, you were dead in your sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Now, what Paul is saying here, it's really important that you don't miss this. What Paul is saying is that we have a very real enemy and your enemy is the ruler of this world. And that when you not, don't follow in God's ways, you're walking in his ways, right? You're following him. All of us, he says, are in the spirit that is now at work in those who are disobedient. Verse three, he says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And so Paul uses this word, this word that we don't really like as a society. It has a negative connotation but he uses this word called sin. And uh, sin is tough for us to imagine because we live in a culture where really uh, what you wanna do is okay as long as it doesn't interfere with what I wanna do and what I wanna do is okay as long as I don't interfere with what you wanna do. And let's just don't call each other stuff sin, okay? Because that's not really a good thing. But there is sin in this world. And if you don't believe there is sin in this world, I believe in two minutes, I can convince you that there is sin in this world. You want me to prove it? Right, okay, here we go. How many of you in the last, say, six months, have been around a toddler, raise your hand. <laughs> I'm gonna prove through toddlers that there is sin in this world. My, uh, my wife and I went to the Noblesville campus yesterday. We got to celebrate the, the evening service, Saturday evening service, and uh, they needed some extra help in gin kids. And so we said, yeah, we'd put up our hands, said we'll serve wherever you need us to serve. And so they put us in the preschool room. Now my, my kids are 
15 and 17. I haven't had preschoolers in like years. And so I don't know what to do with a preschooler. But I, they walk in the room and they are so cute and so sweet and so loving until they're not, right? <laughs> Amen. Thank you. Because all you got to do is take one of their toys away or tell them they have to sit down or not let them have a snack at the right time. And they become evil. It's like they change their face. One of them takes another toy from the other one and they start beating each other about the head and chest. And I'm like, there might be a death in this room tonight. <laughs> Toddlers are selfish people. And we don't have to teach them to be selfish, right? Moms and dads, do you have to teach your toddler to be selfish? No, they're selfish by nature. In fact, maybe you've seen the toddler rules of possession at some point. It's kind of floats around on the internet, but there are 10 toddler rules of possession, and here they are. Number one, if I like it, it's mine. Number two, if it's in my hand, it's mine. Three, if I can take it from you, it's mine. Four, if I had it a little while ago, it's mine. Five, if it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. Six, if I'm doing something or building something, all the pieces are mine. Number seven, if it looks just like mine, it's mine. Uh, number eight, if I saw it first, it's mine. Number nine, if you are playing with something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. Number 10, if it's broken, it's yours. <laughs> right? You don't have to teach a toddler to be selfish, right? They are born that way. They're born with this inclination towards selfishness and selfishness is what we call sin. And the impact of that doesn't just affect us when we're toddlers. It carries on throughout our entire life. It holds us back because sin isn't just about what we do that's wrong. It's about what we don't do that's right. It doesn't just reveal itself in, in our actions, but in our inactions as well. Sin is what causes us to look at all things, at everything to fill the void in our lives. See, all of us have this void in our life. When we're not living out God's purpose for our life, we feel this emptiness, this void, and we will look to drugs or alcohol or sex or anything else that we can find to fill this void, this emptiness that we have inside of us. And that was never, ever God's plan for us. He wants him and his son to fill that void for us. And the sad part about that is we can stay in our sin forever. But God... <laughs> Ephesians 2.4 says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. Now I wanna stop right there because I think we can miss this if we fly by it. It says, God is rich in mercy. Now, if you're rich in money, what do you have? A lot of money, right? You have a lot. Some of you are rich in chocolate this morning, right? Because it's Easter, right? But God is rich in mercy, which means God has a lot of mercy, God has a lot of mercy. And because he's rich in mercy, verse five says, he made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. Even when we were dead in our sin, it is by grace you have been saved. God is rich in mercy, Paul says. He has great love for us. And what does he offer? He offers us a savior in Jesus. He wants you to say that today is the day that you don't have to struggle anymore. You don't have to fight any longer. God says, I'm here. I'm the way. Because I'm alive, you can be alive too. You can have life. It is by his grace that we are saved and offered real life. No matter how bad you've messed up, no matter how many times you've given up, I promise you, it doesn't matter how bad you think you are. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks or what anyone else says about you. God loves you. 
He's crazy about you. He has not given up on you. He sent Jesus for you. He died for you. He rose from the dead for you. And because of Jesus and by trusting Jesus, you can have life and life to the fullest. This is what Jesus himself said in John 10.10. He said, the thief, that's the enemy that we were talking about. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come so that they might have life and have it to the full. That's the kind of life that Jesus wants for you. And Jesus' whole reason for coming to this world was to bring us life, to make us fully alive. And so here's what trusting Jesus looks like when it comes to full life. I put these points in your notes. If you have them, you wanna follow along, you can do that. Uh, Three ways that trusting in Jesus makes us alive. Number one, it makes us be alive with an eternal hope. We have eternal hope in Jesus. Paul goes on, verse six, he says, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Trusting Jesus and living with an eternal hope means that no matter what happens in this world, no matter what loss we may experience or even our own death, we have this hope that goes way beyond that, that we have this hope of being uh, spending eternity in heaven with God and with other believers. That's the eternal hope that comes from being in Jesus forever. Some of you know that I had the chance uh, this not long ago to speak at my grandmother's funeral. Uh, my grandmother passed away this year. She was 102 years old, lived a very full life. Um, she was an incredible woman, a great servant of God. And um, they asked me to speak at her funeral. And, and the one thing from my, for my entire life, the one thing that always stood out to me about my grandma was uh, you couldn't be around her very long before she'd start talking about Jesus to you. Uh, you knew where her hope was uh, if you knew her at all. And so I just decided at that funeral, that's what we had to talk about. We had to let everybody know. And there was a lot of family there, but some friends too. And they all knew by the end of that funeral that she had placed her eternal hope in Jesus. And I've got to tell you, I've done quite a few funerals now, and there are two kinds of funerals that I see, and they only come in two categories. One is when you leave with this overwhelming sense of death and sadness. And one is where you leave with a sense of life and eternal hope. And Grandma's funeral was one of those, that we had eternal hope when we were done. When Jesus emerged from the tomb, he not only conquered death for himself, but for you and me. Because he lives, we can fully live. We can live with this eternal hope. Another way that Jesus brings us life that is truly life is by giving us a chance to live without regrets. We can live without regrets. Most of us, if we could fire up the DeLorean and go back in time, uh, we would have something that we wish we hadn't done, right? And if we don't have something that we wish we hadn't done, we have something that we wish we would have done that we missed out on. Or maybe there's something that we wish that somebody hadn't done to us. And all the time we're living with the pain of those regrets. Well, the Apostle Paul reminds us how great God's love really is and that our regrets don't have to determine the course of our lives. Verse eight, he says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Paul says, your life is not defined by what you've done or what you've not done. It's not works, right? Works is anything that we do. It's not by works, It's not where you've succeeded and it's not where you failed. It's not where you've hit the mark and it's not where you've fallen short. It says God is gracious and through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can have forgiveness. His grace is not dependent on you. It's not dependent on you working to earn favor with God. It is a gift given freely by him. 
Author Bob Goff says it this way. I, I love this, uh, this quote. He says, we spend a lot of time remembering failures. God spent a lot of love saying we could forget. You know, in Christ, you can lay all of your regrets down. You, they don't have to rule your life any longer. In, in Jesus, they can all be forgiven. We, we had a good Friday service here on Friday evening, and some of you were here, and you got the, we got the chance to like, take this rock that represented the weight of our sin and come and lay it at the foot of the cross. And guess what? I'm here on Sunday, and they're still there. Like those regrets don't have to, we don't have to carry them around anymore. We, we can not have any regrets in our life because of our life in Christ. In, in Jesus, God can redeem your life. He, he can redeem your doubts. He can redeem your missed opportunities. He can redeem the mistakes you've made. He can redeem those moments that you can't get back. He can redeem the unfaithfulness. He can redeem the unforgiveness. He can redeem the abortion. He can redeem the addiction. He can redeem the broken relationship or the broken heart. He can redeem the sickness. He can redeem the hate. You don't have to try to prove yourself any longer. Why? Because of grace. It's because of God's grace, because Jesus bore the punishment. He paid the price for your sin and for mine. And when you trust him and you put your faith in him and you make that choice to allow Jesus to lead you the third thing is we can be alive with a clear purpose. I love this quote by Mark Twain. He says, the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. Right? It's Jesus who helps us discover our purpose and helps us understand why we were born. You know, I think the reason I feel most called to my purpose when I'm up here with you guys is this. I think the Lord has revealed this to me recently that... Um, I'm a prideful guy and I like to be in the spotlight. But I think the Lord has said to me, no, Steve, uh, you're gonna feel most alive when I'm being glorified and not you. Like, I think when I'm busy making him famous is when I feel the most alive. And I love that about our God because he knows exactly what we need. Ephesians 2.10 says this, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Paul's words remind us that I don't have to drive myself crazy trying to find a purpose, that I've already have one. God created me with one. I can rest in the knowledge that God specifically created me with good works in mind and that he will lead me as he works through me in this world, no matter what that purpose is. You know, pastor and author Randy Alcorn uh, told this story in a book I read. It's a story of Phil and Margaret Holder. Now, Phil was a pastor in Great Britain in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and into the 80s. Very successful, uh, very faithful pastor, very successful church. Uh, his wife, Margaret, was influential in the building of that church and the, the, the success that they were able to have. And Margaret Holder grew up the daughter of Chinese missionaries. And uh, she, during World War II, ended up in this prison camp in China that was the, the Japanese. And uh, when Randy Alcorn, the author, was interviewing them, she would tell these stories about this guy in the prison camp that she remembers. His name was Uncle Eric. And Uncle Eric uh, was the guy that brought joy to the prison camp. He would tutor her. He would play with the kids. He would sing to the kids. He would dance out with the kids in the middle of this prison camp. And then she stopped and she said, do you know who I'm talking about? Uncle Eric, they made a movie about his life. It's called Chariots of Fire. <laughs> See, Eric Liddell, this guy that we remember as a great runner, had this purpose for his life. And part of the purpose showed up in the life and faithfulness of someone else. When you find your purpose, 
when you find why God created you, you won't be the only one to notice because it affects people all around you. That's the kind of life we're aiming for here at Genesis. We're, we're going all in and we're risking our only time here on earth. We only get one go around this crazy planet. And at Genesis, we are risking all of it to help people find their way back to God because we believe there's only one way to have life to the fullest. And we all wanna be a part of the work that he is doing in this world. And we'd love for you to be a part of it too. And so just two things as we close, we get ready to end our service today. Two things I want you to, to think about. One, I know there are people here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you want that life. You want that life that is truly life. I just wanna invite you in a minute. I'm gonna pray and you can pray along with me and, um, and you can ask Jesus uh, to be the life for you. He, you can ask him to be the Lord of your life, the, the, the master of your life. And some of you are here and you know, you've done that before. You've made that decision, but for some reason you've been away for a long time and hasn't really been an important part of your life. You can recommit your life to Jesus today. And we had some people that did that earlier today and, uh, at this campus and on our Elbowsville campus. And we would just love to talk with you. If, if you're here and God's doing something in your heart, don't leave this room today without talking to me or talking to Michael or talking to one of our staff or heading out to the tent and telling him you want to know a little bit more because we'd love to get you involved and help you take the next step in the life of this church. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I am so thankful that you saw fit that while we were still sinners, you sent your son Jesus to die for us and not just to die, but to die and be buried and then be raised from the dead. Lord, that gives me great hope to know that you can overcome anything that happens in my life. I thank you for that. And Lord, I pray for the people in this room who feel disconnected from you right now. Maybe they don't know what to do. They're, it's an odd experience for them to be in a church. Maybe their mind is wandering. Lord, would you just let them know right now that they are loved by you? Would you help them to understand that you have a purpose for their life? And Lord, would you work in their hearts to help find that? If you're here today and you don't have that relationship with Jesus, you can, you can pray this prayer. This is the start of your journey. Just say, God, I need you in my life. I'm tired of trying to prove myself over and over again. Jesus, I know that you, I believe that you died and were raised from the dead and I wanna follow you. And if you pray that prayer, that's the start of your journey of faith. Uh, we wanna help you take that next step. So God, pray as we come to you in worship uh, that you would, feel our words back to you right now, that we could respond in a way that is pleasing to you. We pray this in the name of Jesus.